0: Good afternoon, you're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. So we're going to read tonight from Nehemiah
1: 2 and the verses 1 through to 8. And let's again give attention to the Word of God. And it came to pass... In the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore, afraid." And said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad, when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant hath found favour in thy sight, that thou wouldst send me into Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulcher, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, and the king also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come unto, into Jerusalem, into Judah. And the letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me, according to the good hand of my God upon me. And Nehemiah, along with his uh, contemporaries and predecessors, Zerubbabel and Ezra, is seeking under God to restore the work of God. After the time of captivity in Babylon, there is a three-phased return back into the promised land under Zerubbabel, and Ezra, uh, now in the latter stage under the leadership of Nehemiah. And these books, Ezra and Nehemiah, are all about the work of God. They are about how God works. Again, in the work of God, it's always about how God works. But in these two books particularly, we see how men work for the Lord and with the Lord in the work of the Lord. And again, that theme keeps recurring. Uh, here are our men who are, uh, again, called of God, placed in the positions uh, under the will of God. And they're working for the Lord and also with the Lord as they engage in the work of the Lord. It has always been the Lord's purpose to bring the people back to the land. Again, Je- Jeremiah, he gave that word of promise the 70 years promise that, uh, that Daniel pleaded before God in prayer. It was always God's will for the people to return to the land. It was always God's will that there be a restoration of their national identity. Because, of course, it was always God's will that Christ would come from his people. a Messiah would come in the fullness of time. And, and thus, this work was guaranteed and yet, God is pleased to guarantee his work through the actions of men. We saw in our Bible class a couple of Sundays ago how the matter of God's decrees do not overthrow the work of men. God had decreed that people would return to land, but the God who decreed such also decrees the means to that end, namely the work of Nehemiah along with Ezra and Zerubbabel. It's always a source of challenge and encouragement to us that God is pleased to work through his servants. He, of course, does not need to do so, uh, but in his will, he's pleased to do so. And therefore, in these studies, we ought to keep in mind that Nehemiah is engaging in the work of God. Keep in mind that it is Nehemiah's purpose under God to seek the restoration of the city of God to those former states of security and prosperity. And those are the two words I think you should keep in mind in, in the book of Nehemiah. The purpose is to re-establish security and prosperity. The temple has already been rebuilt, the spirituality is already there. But there's a need now for security and prosperity. And it's of course the same now. As a church in this modern time, we need God to re-establish security and prosperity. In the work of God and in this book. We will find that Nehemiah, as a man of God, often encounters difficulties. Obstacles come before him in, in various forms. My mind went to the words of Paul, describing his ministry, where he said, For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Trouble without and within the work of God. And so that's often the case, and it is the case for, for Nehemiah. In the first part of chapter 2, in these verses we've read together, we do see, surely, that the work of God, it continues in a particular context historically. It continues in the midst of a fallen world. Artaxerxes was no friend of Jehovah. Artaxerxes was no worshipper of the true God. And yet, here we find Nehemiah, in the context of Artaxerxes' reign, And yet the work of God is not hindered despite Artaxerxes being the ruler at this time. The interaction with the king shows that the work of God can and does progress even in the midst of a world that is hostile and opposed to that work. The church does not grow and exist in a vacuum. We live at a particular time, the year 2018, and we must recognize the state of the world in which we live. And the church is existing in this world. We are not isolated. We're we're in the world. And the world around us impacts us on what we do and how we do it. So you can ask the question, well, how does the work of God continue and grow in a hostile world? And here we find in this chapter, uh, we find some insights as to how Nehemiah conducted the work, and, and therefore, well, well, what can we do? How can the work, work of God continue in our hostile world? Nehemiah here acts as a man of faith, and there is, there is much to learn from his example in these verses. And so, in a hostile world, uh, we should see that the work of God continues by a patient waiting for the Lord's timing. Waiting for God to act, but doing so patiently, waiting in his sovereign will. Note that there are dates given here. Verse number one. You have it came to pass in the month Nisan. And chapter one and the verse one also gave us a date. And it came to pass in the month Chislu. Now, we don't have September here and December. We've, we've learned terms that are, that are not uh, familiar to us. We don't talk about the month Nisan, and month Chislu. We don't use those terms, of course, now. But those who uh, research back into the ancient world and understand these things, they would say that we're looking here at a period of four to five months. That's the sort of time we're talking about here. And Nehemiah had, had heard the news. His brother had brought the news regarding the, the terrible situation in Jerusalem. And for four to five months, he had to wait with that news upon his heart. He knew, I believe, that the only way he could work for the Lord would be by the king being moved. And yet significantly, Nehemiah does not hear the news in chapter 1 and burst through the palace doors and blurt out his concerns to the king. That would have ultimately likely resulted in his death You wouldn't do that in that culture. That would have been very, very foolish. And the outcome would have been that Nehemiah would have been no use to the Lord in the rebuilding of the walls. Furthermore, we understand that when he heard the news in chapter 1, his response was to weep. Thus the sadness that we read about in chapter 1 did not just begin in the month uh, month of Nisan. That, That sadness had been in his heart for a number of months now. I think what is implied here is that from the time Nehemiah heard the news until the events of chapter 2, Nehemiah was not at that time called upon to serve the king. We read that he's sad in chapter 2, he's weeping in chapter 1, and it suggests to me at least that during those intervening months it was not Nehemiah's duty to serve before the king. That wasn't how God had ordained things to be at that time. He had no access to the king. Undoubtedly, he was not the only cupbearer. And thus, we find that Nehemiah had to wait. For the work to be done, he had to wait patiently. He had to wait for the Lord's timing. Let me give you two very simple words that should, uh, again, govern our attitude to the work of God in a hostile world, in a world that is hostile to the gospel. We must wait for God while we weep. weeping, but waiting. That is the way of the Lord's work in a fallen world. We must be burdened. There ought to be tears, and there ought to be sadness as we see the work of God and the state that it's in, and we see the prevalence of, of wickedness around us. But in our weeping, we must keep on waiting. God's work always progresses according to His divine timetable. Undoubtedly, at times, the Church of God has sought to speed up the Lord's work, and it has not been successful. When you think of the promise that God made to to Abraham, he was going to be a father of many nations, and no seed came along. Um, what was Sarah's plan? It was to use her maid, Hagar. Ishmael was born, but it wasn't of God. In fact, later on after that, that's Genesis 16 and Genesis 18. And the verse number 14, uh, the Lord says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee, according to the time of life and Sarah's love of son. It was God's timing. Of course, God's timing always glorifies God's name. Man's timing, that seeks to glorify man and glorify our ingenuity. Christ came at the fullness of the time at, at just the right time. It was God's appointed time. You think of the words of Acts 16. After they came to, to Mysia they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. The church, they had their own plans, but they had to wait under God's sovereign plan. And so it was, so it was the lot for Nehemiah. Not that such weeping, waiting would have been easy. You look at the grief that he had for the work of God. In fact, we're, we're told in verse number 10 of chapter 2, the burden he had upon his heart was for the welfare of the children of Israel. He's a real burden upon his soul. He, he's weeping and waiting. And as God's children, we should have a concern for the welfare of the professed church of Christ. We should desire that God would move. But we need to wait upon the Lord. We need to wait upon His will and His timing. As we wait, do we get frustrated? No. As we wait, we pray. Which leads to the second thing we see. How do we work for God in the fallen world? Well, we work by prayerful dependence. Not only with a patient waiting, but a prayerful dependence. The opportunity does come, verse 2. He's in the king's presence. He took up the wine in verse 1, he goes to the king, that was his duty, and the king says, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. The Artaxerxes art of Xerxes is not being sympathetic at all. We might say, just, just pull yourself together, Nehemiah. Quit, quit the sad face. You've no reason to be sad. You're not sick. The time has come to act, hasn't it, for Nehemiah? Therefore, he said in verse 2, then I was very sore afraid. His response of fear is an honest confession. As he writes this book, I was terrified. I've been rumbled. I'm in deep trouble here. It was not right and proper in my vocation to be before the king with a sorrowful face. I rejoice that Nehemiah, writing this book, doesn't pretend that all was well. Fear is the enemy of faith. Where you have fear, there is a tendency for faith to be overcome. When you give a foothold to fear in your soul, it can be a way to crush living faith. Remember the boat? The disciples in the boat, why are ye so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? However, we should note in Nehemiah's case, the honesty of his fear was was met by strong faith. Because whilst fear can destroy faith, living faith also destroys fear. When there is a vital faith, then the fear is overcome. And whilst there may be the natural response, and who wouldn't be terrified in Nehemiah's shoes right now, whilst there may be that natural response, a man of God who has faith, he will overcome his fears. And so we see him, as a result, in verse 4, doing what a man of God always does. So I prayed to the God of heaven. In the action of prayer, uh, he overcomes the attitude of fear and he he applies faith to the problem. There are a few very obvious reflections to make just with regards to this particular situation of prayer. And note the practice of prayer here. Prayer to God can be made anywhere. It's so obvious, but we should always remind ourselves of that fact. Again, there are times you may be in a in a very particular uh, stressful situation, it may be in work or the family. Just stop. You don't need to run to a closet. Just stop. Quietly within yourself. Pray for God to give you help and wisdom. And this is what it is to pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean necessarily that we're, that we're continually offering prayers as we walk around the, uh, around the world, but it's simply there's a, a con- constant attitude of prayer in and through our day. I may paraphrase Spurgeon wrongly here, but I think it was Spurgeon that said he would not pray for more than 15 minutes, and he wouldn't go 15 minutes without praying. And prayer in the practice doesn't need to be lengthy to be effective. Now that doesn't mean... We shouldn't wait long for God in prayer. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have prolonged seasons of seeking God's face. But it's also reminding us that that effective prayers that get an answer are, are prayers that can be very, very short and brief indeed. You also see the persistence in his praying here. He's praying in verse number four, but not for the first time. We studied his prayer last time in chapter one. He had already prayed to God, but the prayer of chapter one it doesn't let him rest in the assurance. Well, I've prayed once; I don't need to pray anymore. No, he prays again. He keeps on praying, and I believe the product of his prayer is that he's given confidence. Again, there's a two ways to look at prayer. On the one hand, we understand that a strong confidence in God produces prayer. As we pray, that act of prayer in itself strengthens our confidence in God. It goes both ways. Our confidence produces prayer, but our prayer also produces confidence. Because when we pray, what are we doing? We are remembering that God is greater than the obstacles we perceive. That's what happens we pray, we're, we're getting before God, and we're reminding ourselves that though our obstacles our problems may be huge, God is greater than them all. And so he says in verse number 4, So I prayed to the God of heaven. Our sees is a king on the earth, but God is the God of heaven. Indeed, the word God that's used here is the word Elohim that's used uh, for the creative power of God in Genesis chapter 1. He's praying to the God of absolute power, of absolute sovereignty, the creator God who dwells in the heavens, who reigns and rules over all. And as those words are said, so I pray to the God of heaven. We see that prayer producing a confidence which I then think encourages Nehemiah to act in verse 5 and following. We see so the third thing then, having thought about the matter of patient waiting and prayer for dependence, we see purposeful action. You see, understanding the need for God to work does not remove the necessity of action on the part of Nehemiah. Prayer doesn't end our work; it is the beginning of our work. It's the foundation of our work. We we shouldn't we shouldn't work for God without prayer. We shouldn't pray without working for God. They always come together. We, we are in the work of God. We, we are right. Oh, Lord, give us opportunities to, to witness for thee in this neighborhood. Give us opportunities to serve thee. But also as we pray those prayers, we must ourselves be determined to act upon those prayers, to act as, as we would seek to answer those prayers in the will of God. God gave Nehemiah the opportunity and he took it with both hands. It's important to remember the background here. As a king, Artaxerxes has shown himself to be very wary regarding a city being fortified and reestablished. Back in Ezra chapter 4, there's a, again, a, I, can't, I can't read the entire chapter now, but back in Ezra chapter 4, uh, there is some letters written back and forward to seek to hinder the work of God. There are governors, they're actually mentioned later on in in Nehemiah chapter 2, we'll come back to them very, very shortly, but the governors, they wrote to Artaxerxes, and we have the copy of that letter given to us in verse number 11, this is the copy of the letter they sent unto him, even unto Artaxerxes the king, and later on we read of the answer the king gave in verse 17, then sent the king an answer, and the answer Resulted in the work of God being paused. Verse number twenty-four. That it ceased. The work of God ceased. So, what does Xerxes? Is certainly cautious about the work of God. Cautious about the work of God continuing. Suspicious of that progress. And thus, knowing that, we, we must marvel at Nehemiah's wisdom. His actions are marked by restraint. He doesn't just blurt out the need or his desire to go back. He he simply, initially in verse number five, he simply explains, or verse number three, sorry, he begins by simply explaining the cause for his sadness. He mentions his fathers. Again, even that's got wisdom. The Persians had respect for their heritage and their ancestors. And at that point, he doesn't even mention the name of Jerusalem. Verse 3 simply says, I am sad because of my city lies waste and the gates are consumed with fire. There's great wisdom here. When working for the Lord in the midst of a fallen, hostile world, we need wisdom that the work of God would not be hindered. Boldness in the work of God without wisdom can sometimes hinder the work of God. We can serve God in in the countries of Western governments that are not favorable. And thus in our outreach and in the efforts we make to preach Christ, we must do so with wisdom. Oh yes, boldness, but wise as serpents. We see that in in Nehemiah's restraint. We also see it in his respect. Being a Christian and having the work of God upon his heart does not allow Nehemiah to treat his ungodly superior as he felt like. The civil authorities must be respected. Whilst we value our civil liberty, we must be careful that we do not use our civil liberty in such a manner that we are not respectful for the authorities that God has placed over us. Now, when the authorities demand that we break God's law and sin against God, then we must stand against civil authorities. But there may be times when the civil authorities require things of us that are not violations of God's law. And thus in those times, we must be careful and respectful to our civil law. And so the restraint and the respect that Nehemiah shows, I do think it has application to how we engage in evangelism in a hostile and a fallen world. And yet in all, Nehemiah was determined to get the task done. As he goes on to tell the king, about what he would like to do by visiting his, his city and, and seeking to rebuild it. He shows in the fullness of his answer that he has done an awful lot of background work. He wants letters to the governors who objected to the work before. These governors are there. Can I have letters that I can have safe convoy till I come into Judah? He's aware of the problems that he may face. He understands it's not enough to say, I want to go, I need some help to get there. He also wants to get some timber. Again, you're going to build, it's good to have some timber. And thus again, he's, he's asking for a letter. There's, there's, there's careful planning here. He knew by the timing, he knew the resources, he even knew Asaph's name. If you like, he, he had been on Google and found a guy who could supply some good timber for the gates and the walls planning, and resolve. This is not a a headless approach to the work of God. It is careful, thoughtful, respectful, wise. Again, there is much to teach us regarding how we conduct the work of God here. We should plan and give careful thought, well, what can we do in a manner that is honoring to Christ and yet is for the glory of God and the spread of the gospel? And yet in it all, for the work of God to continue... In a fallen world, yes, we may look about, about our actions and our prayers. We may consider, the, again, the importance of waiting in God's timing. But at the end of it all, the only way that God's work progresses in a fallen world is through powerful divine intervention. Look at verse number, th- verse number 8. And the king granted me, not according to my wisdom not according to my careful planning, not according to my strategies, not according to anything to do with me, but according to the good hand of my God upon me. And if we see God's work progress in this place in the days to come, may we never look back and say, it was because we were strategic or we did this or that or the other thing. May we always see, because it's always the case, that the only reason we have progress or growth or increase or any of those things It's because of the good hand of God upon us. A good hand, a gracious hand. Success in God's work is always by grace. It's unmerited by us. It's earned by Christ. He he earns the the grace that we enjoy. But for us, it is gracious. It's God's good eye, his gracious hand. His hand that speaks of his power. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly, said the psalmist. And there's the right hand of God that is upon us, operating in us, not just overruling for us, but actually operating in our situation as God works in our lives and through our lives. going to love the last verse of, of Mark's gospel. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. We've also got another reference that close in Acts chapter 11, And the hand of the Lord is with them. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. It is the hand of God that we need. Our only hope is God's hand being upon us and causing His work to grow and prosper for His glory and for His name.
0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.